build a financial model for all the different asset classes, you know, given what we were looking for. And we wanted, you know, cash flow, capital appreciation, tax benefits, and non-correlation, you know, or low beta, cycle resiliency. There's a lot of ways you can say the same thing. So those were the four things we wanted. And so we built a model for storage and for apartments and for industrial and office and retail and I mean, billboards, we considered everything that we could think of. And our thought was we would put all the models on the table and let them duke it out. And we would pursue the ones that had the most merit from an intellectually, to a degree, rigorous process. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. I interview the top commercial real estate investors and industry experts so you can learn from their experiences. So if you're an investor, a high W-2 earner or real estate or tech sales professional that wants to invest in real estate without having to manage properties or leave your day job, then this podcast is for you. Or if you're already investing in real estate, but you're doing it part-time and you want to become a full-time multifamily or full-time commercial real estate investor, this podcast is for you too. You're going to learn a ton. You will learn from real life multifamily investors and other professionals in the industry. They're going to share their blueprints for success. And I'm super excited that you're here. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, hello. This is Abel Pacheco, your host on the Five Talents Commercial Podcast. And we're super excited today to have an amazing guest, Mr. Ryan Smith, who's done some outstanding things in the syndication space, in the fun space, the commercial real estate area. Just super excited. Ryan, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Good to see you. Yeah, I uh, sincerely appreciate it. I mean, me and Ryan were talking about earlier, I heard him on a podcast maybe a year or so ago, and my wife said, you just completely stretched our thinking on what's possible in the syndication business and and really how to go do it. And demystifying was the word my, my wife always says. She goes, oh, he made it clear. Let's go do that. So mm-hmm. you were a big inspiration to us and uh, super excited, man. So excited to have you. For those that don't know Ryan, let me at least give a couple of the, the background nuggets and then I'll let you you know, really introduce yourself. But so Ryan Smith is the co-manager of multiple investment funds. So they really specialize in investing. This is really directly and indirectly mobile home parks, self-storage assets. They represent a total ownership of about 20,000 units so 20,000 doors or units in the self-storage area, you know, in 25 states, they're on their eighth fund. So they raise a, lo- a lot of capital and go buy a bunch of deals at, this, at, at, you know, in one fund. So one fund represents multiple, many assets. And they've raised about $300 million in private capital and really go, uh, have acquired $700 million you know, roughly speaking of commercial real estate. So Ryan, those are tremendous numbers, man. I'm, uh, I'm excited. Well, before we talk real estate, Ryan is also, you know, he's, he's got an awesome background. Hopefully he talks a little bit about this to University of Tampa, Bachelor of Science in Computer Science. He was an athlete. He was recruited for both baseball and basketball for the pros, but ended up, he got drafted as a senior in high school by the Baltimore Orioles. And then again, uh, in college by the Anaheim Angels. So he's got a a tremendous, you know, professional athlete mindset, which is is just phenomenal in this business as well. But, you know, he took this route. And then also now you serve uh, for the board of Young Life, uh, which is Young Life College, UCF. That's a member of the and a member of the advisory board for the National Christian Foundation, the Orlando chapter. So we had a little pre-conversation as well there. So I'm excited to talk about all this stuff. So let me turn it over to you. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and maybe what you're doing today. And we'll start there, brother. Sure. Yeah, no, happy to do it. And I'm glad to be here with you and, you know, look forward to uh, communicating with anybody watching this. If I could be helpful, I would love to. And feel free to refer to my introduction. If you struggle with sleep, just review my bio and, you know, it's not habit forming. So that's good. So, with regard to your question, what would you like me to focus on? What aspect? Tell me a little bit more about your background, you know, who you are, what you do. I know you have a couple of children, married today. Give us a little bit about, you know, that. That's a great place to start. 
Sure. Yeah, no, that's great. So married to my wife, Jamie, we're about to celebrate our 15th uh, year of marriage here on November 5th, which I'm really excited about. We have four kids that are a blast, ages two, four, six, and eight. They're all born. You want to know about Jamie and her administrative skills. They're all born the same week, two years apart, which is, uh, you know, (laughs) that's some timing right there, man. It's always popular. Same, you know, every other year, same time. I never could figure it out. But anyway, we've got two girls, two boys. They're a joy. We live here in Orlando. And then this is, you know, where I am at this point in our office here in Orlando. So we both, Jamie and I both come from real estate backgrounds. You know, we come from blue collar, hardworking families. Jamie's mom, who's, you know, my mother-in-law is one of my favorite people in the world. She's my neighbor. We bought the house next door and, and she lives there and love her. She can wire a house for electrical today. Yeah. So, you know, we, we kind of come from blue collar backgrounds, um, both in real estate. Jamie had a lot of background in property management. And then I had a lot of background in more of the analytics, financial modeling side of the business. That was my role in our family's business growing up. So yeah. we, we kind of came together and, you know, and have built, you know, our business together side by side. So with my office and, and her office is, is still right, working together right down the hall. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. And, and so both of you came from a real estate family. Were you third generation? Like were your grandparents the same? Did they buy, you know, real estate? It sounds like your parents did and you were kind of in the business. Grandparents, et cetera. Yeah. And I mean, I think what Jamie and I do today, our business is very different. Very, very different. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll uh, definitely talk about that. Yeah, it's it's very different. So our family and Jamie's family, credible people, hardworking, you know, they would build a house from scratch, live in it for two years, sell it for the tax benefits, and then go do it again and again and again. Nice. So they, they weren't really, you know, they did fine, but weren't really building anything long term. You know, and then my family, my parents, you know, it was single family residential, you know, buying kind of lower income housing and in the periphery of nicer areas. And then, you know, working our tails off to make it nicer. And, you know, every, every weekend I was trenching something or scraping something or touching something that I didn't want to be touching, you know, every weekend from my childhood. So, and I loved it. I say that tongue in cheek, I, I loved it. And so both residential in nature. And so when Jamie and I, you know, came together, you know, I was around 23, she was 20. You know, we, we met, we instantly, or at least I instantly knew like she was it for me and made that known to her. And so we, when we met, it was pretty a quick path to a serious long-term relationship. So we started building our business while still dating. And so we started single family residential. We bought about 25 properties in our early 20s. I had capital from a software company I'd started as a teenager and we both had good credit. So we really started building for ourselves, no outside investors, no nothing like that. And really came to the point of knowledge where once we had 25 houses, you know, we found that it wasn't that scalable. Do you think you, you buy 25 properties at, at that point, you're really, you know, you're in the money, you know, and we were wrong. <laughs> and, and at that point we were far beyond the experience of our parents. So it wasn't like we could yeah. rely on them. So you, that's what you we- grew up like literally a house at a time. They were doing real estate, but you managing, you doing the work, you doing a lot of the effort. And that single family experience that you saw, that's what you started applying. You just did it at a different scale than they were doing is, is kind of what it sounds like. Yeah, we did it one at a time and we we moved. Jamie and I have a habit. We have a I guess a track record just personally, when we do things, we do things, whether it's service, whether it's, you know, we just, we don't know half throttle. So it wasn't like all we, in. What, yeah, it was, and it's not for bravado. It's just, we, we do it and, you know, it's just, it's kind of our nature. It's who we are as a couple. And so when we, when we came together, it wasn't like we said, Hey, let's buy, you know, let's do 25 houses. It was just, yeah. Okay. You know, again and better and again and better. And, you get better at it. Once we had 25, we kind of hit pause and we're like, okay, we thought by 25 that, you know, maybe we'd have a little marginal improvement or improvement in our margin due to that scale. And that wasn't the case. So that's when we started looking for something better. How long was that run from maybe like the first house to the 25th house? It was about two years, something like that. And uh, it sounds like you did well on the capital side which is awesome. You started a software tech company, kind of exited that, had some capital running in, but were you buying, you were still using a little leverage like bank debt at that time or 
Yeah, we were. We were okay. using it. And so the aha moment at 25 houses, like you said, hey, the margins didn't scale. I couldn't quite get what you wanted. And some of those houses, I'm sure getting older, I never got to 25 houses before I stopped, but I was at, I was about 10 before I realized uh, I'm going to switch over to commercial. How did you make the leap to commercial and what was your first commercial transaction? Yeah, no, that's a good question. What we did is we said, okay, you know, this model, we liked the properties we owned. It was just more the model. So we still own a lot of those properties to this day and we'll probably own them you know, 30 years from now. But what we did is we hit pause and, you know, again, we didn't have a parent to say, Hey, this is, you know, think of this and do this. Yeah. So, and I kind of skipped this in my bio a little bit. I had an analytics background. So I ended up doing all my dad's, you know, financial modeling as a teenager. So I had kind of an analytic background, taught myself to code and, and some of those things. So in my early mid twenties, what we thought we would do is build a financial model for all the different asset classes you know, given what we were looking for. And we wanted, you know, cash flow, capital appreciation, tax benefits, and non-correlation, you know, or low beta, cycle resiliency. There's a lot of ways you can say the same thing. So those were the four things we wanted. And so we built a model for storage and for apartments and for industrial and office and retail. And I mean, billboards, we considered everything that we could think of. And our thought was we would put all the models on the table and let them duke it out. And we would pursue the ones that had the most merit from an intellectually, to a degree, rigorous process. So anyway, point being is the two that kind of stood out to us for those four things that we wanted were storage and mobile home parks. And so we proceeded with mobile home parks because that was there were easier points of entry at the time in that space for specific reasons. Yeah. Cash flow, appreciation, tax benefits, and then non-correlation, which is like, if something happens in the market, it's not going to affect me or maybe not so correlated. Is that kind of what you meant? Yeah. Or is that what kind of, you know, you're describing? Love, like there's this, this concept of beta rating, which is, you know, if the dollar, if, if the market, if the broader market goes up a dollar, does your investment go up a dollar? That's a one-to-one -one correlation. You know, I want a sub-one correlation. Uh, which means, you know, it is less correlated. If the market goes up or down a dollar, maybe mine goes up and down, you know, less than a dollar, you know. Yep. So so anyway, point being both mobile home parks and storage are are fairly low, low correlation. Got it. That's okay. That's awesome. You definitely went after it in a very, like you said, analytical, scientific, like let them duke it out on paper, on the math and kind of said, Hey, before we go full bore, this is what we're going to, this is what we're going to do. And then uh, what was it that led you to go, you know, full bore? So I've heard a little bit of this on another podcast and this is where my wife said, Hey, you, you know, it's just really inspiring to say, well, you were trying to figure it out and how to get there. But why don't you tell us a little bit about like, you know, what was next in this process? Let me let you tell your story. Yeah. So to treetop it a little bit for um, the sake of your listeners, I'll give a couple of high points. So we started buying mobile home parks. My grandfather is probably, and my mom's dad is from an investment standpoint, probably the greatest influence internal to our family that I had significant external influences. But my grandfather um, raised us yeah, to understand how to invest to a degree. So he would give us $1,000 every year and teach us how to identify stocks. And we would always look for companies with a moat. Uh, with a competitive advantage. I knew in second grade what a moat was, you know? And so when I looked at the asset classes, I saw what I thought was on the mobile home park side of the business. And to make it really short, it's a simple reality that mobile home parks are needed everywhere. They're not allowed to be built anywhere because they're hated everywhere because of the stigma that they hold. And so I saw the stigma as a moat that could protect my capital. And I thought it was a durable moat, one that would be lasting. So, you know, I thought that was a tremendous deal. I'll make this point because I think it's important, the value of that stigma. You know, Coke and Pepsi have spent a trillion dollars in their lifespans in marketing to generate behavior and you yeah. to listen to their marketing, right? Yeah. So, a trillion dollars. And if I were to do a poll right now, roughly half of everybody listening to this would say, I like Pepsi, the other half Coke or something like that. Mm -hmm. so they're 50% effective after spending a trillion dollars. So when I was in my 20s, I, I looked at this. I'm like, okay, I don't have to spend a penny. And 100% of everybody agrees. 
that mobile home parks are not something that they desire to be built near them. So which one's the more durable and effective moat? I mean, a significant value lying in the streets just for whoever wanted to pick it up. So anyway, we picked it up. We built the portfolio of mobile home parks over several years. And, you know, like anything, you know, you, you take that step, you build, you, you never feel like it's fast enough. It's never easy. It's never as easy as you think it'll be. It's, you know, it's just all that, you know. And so we're, we're building our portfolio and things are going fine. You know, we're by comparison, you know, we're doing fine. But we don't take the time to compare because, you know, for us, it's about better and how do we get new things forward. So anyway, we had a, a mutual friend, Jamie and I had a friend who is much older, you know, than us, probably 35 years our senior, recently the mayor of Newport Beach. And he's a dear friend to this day. But we had become friends with him and he was watching us build our business. And he reached out to me one day and he just said, you know, I've watched you guys build your business and I really want to introduce you to my good friend, Brian, because I think he could be helpful to you. And I said, yeah, tell me about Brian. And I think at the time, Jamie and I may have something like a thousand units or something, you know, split of our brow kind of thing, our capital. And I think Brian at the time had 55,000 units that he owned and operated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't come from wealth. I didn't even know somebody existed like that. I mean, literally, this was like a a unicorn. So, you know, Rush just said, would you like to meet him? And, you know, my comment (laughs) was... You know, if given the opportunity, I'd walk backwards from Orlando to California, you know, to meet somebody like this. And so he goes, okay, I'll get back to you. And I think it was maybe a week or two later, he called, you know, one night late on the East Coast. Um, We were in Orlando and he said, you know, good news, bad news, good news, Brian will meet with you. Bad news is it's tomorrow, you know, late afternoon. And so, you know, Jamie and I, you know, packed our bags, got the first flight out you know, flew to California. We can only go to LAX. The flight was late. We had to get changed in the bathroom of LAX, hightail it down to Newport Beach, which, you know, anybody who knows that distance, it's 40 miles, but it could be an hour to two hours. You don't know. And we made it by like 10 minutes and we were sweaty, hot messes. And so we sit down, you know, we sit down and we're talking and, you know, we did all of this to just the chance to meet him. And, you know, the whole dinner was fine dinner, but the whole dinner, he's asking us questions, which was driving us nuts. Cause I'm like, I didn't fly across the country. <laughs> not myself. You know, yeah. I learn about me. That's, that's boring. You know? So he asked me all these questions. He's a very good question asker. But at the end, he just said, you know, I'm really impressed with what you and your wife have done with seemingly very little help. And he's like, so, you know, I'm going to stay for the next 30 minutes, give you 30 more minutes of my time, ask any questions you have. And if I'm knowledgeable, I'll answer. That was, you know, you better have questions. And I did. So I asked him basically, what is the structure you use? Like, don't give me the, the believe in yourself. The, you know, I, I don't need the, the self-belief stuff. I, I got that. But, you know, like tactically, strategically, specifically. Yeah. Like, you need a structure. So he takes the, <laughs> the white cloth napkin <laughs> and a pen <laughs> and starts drawing entity structures and diagrams on the table. And at the end of the dinner, that was it. So, I mean, I couldn't fly fast enough home because I, you know, I used to have this image on our website of a train where you can see 100 miles in the distance. And as I described it, and I think everybody can identify that with this a little bit, but you feel like you're on the right track, but it's as if there's fog obscuring the tracks and you feel like you're on the right track, but you really don't have visibility and you, you hope there's no cliff ahead. You don't know. But after this, you know, dinner with Brian, I felt like the fog had cleared I could see a hundred miles into the distance. And at that point it was just execute like a son of a gun, which that has not been my struggle uh, historically. So we went home, we, you know, we took what he had to say, you know, we put it into practice. He was blown away. And interestingly enough, couldn't believe we did what we did with his advice. And it was the foundation for a long-term friendship. And he's a dear friend to this day. Yeah. That is so amazing. Just on multiple different levels. I think, a lot of people struggle with understanding or how the structure, like you said, I can't see the tracks in front of me. So I feel very uncomfortable picking this, you know, train up to a speed because I don't know what's beyond that. And so it's, it's nerve wracking. It's worrisome. It's, you know, there's fear behind it, all the things. But now that the fog has been cleared, it's very easy to put more coal in the engine, right? And let's, let's hit it hard. And like you said, I think a lot of us 
well, many of my friends in circle and network, you know, are very hard workers, dedicated, perseverance. They, they are grinders. It's just, you just never know which thing you should work at with all your hard intensity. Cause you never know which one's going to, you know, bring you the return that you want. And you're hoping that you've just spent the last five, 10, 15 years <laughs> working on something that is actually going to give you that reward. And there you are with like the right vehicle, the right plan. And it's time to get after it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a blessing. Yeah. That's awesome. And then just the factor of, well, you guys were in it a thousand doors, sweat of your brow, man, kudos to you because you know, a lot of people say, Oh, you got lucky. Some people, Hey, this guy got lucky because so-and-so met so-and-so and yeah, well, he's whatever the case is, they throw around the word luck. And, and I'm a big subscriber to that, that word of luck, the definition of his preparation and opportunity meet, right? You had done your hard work. You've done your, your effort, sweat of your brow to get a thousand units or mobile home parks at a thousand to actually have the, the person with, you know, <laughs> however many say, Hey, 55,000, would you like to set up this meeting? I think you, you would benefit from it. So you did your part. How many years did it take you to, to do that, to get even the first thousand, the mobile home parks? A couple of years. Uh, it was, uh, I think I was in my, I think I was probably 26, 27, probably three, okay. four years. X number of years, 25 houses, then mobile home parks. You pulled the trigger, made it happen. And then the call comes and you have to get on the plane to, you know, to do that, to go overnight. And you're like, man, you're there. How, how many people would actually, you know, I don't, I don't know how many listeners you ask yourself, would you have actually answered that call and like gone from one side of the country to the other overnight? And, you know, you did. And it obviously you had your plan and now you get after it. Right. You know, it's funny. It gives, I can brag on my wife here because she's, she's exceptional. You know, there's IQ people uh, and there's EQ people and Jamie's and she's Einsteinian genius on the EQ side. She's also very bright on the IQ side, which I've never seen EQ like Jamie. She's really exceptional. But to give you an example, so we did this meeting, you know, we were grateful. This gentleman, you know, just invested in whether he thought it was a crumb, that was a seed for us. And we planted it and watered it and, you know, stewarded that investment. And we did something with it. Not only did she write him a letter, you know, I think it was about a year later saying, you know, you invested, you know, a significant amount in us. We stewarded it. This is how we stewarded it. This is what we're doing. But she also found the mentor for him, uh, a gentleman who was still alive. He was in his mid nineties. She found him as a guy named CJ Bonner. And Jamie wrote Mr. Bonner a letter saying, thank you for investing in, you know, Brian, because your investment in him is now paying dividends to us. And and then Mr. Bonner, who was Brian's to a degree mentor, you know, let Brian know he had received this letter. So such a you know, quality, quality engagement. The funny, funny part of the story, we were out in the Midwest, I think somewhere for business and, and Brian called, you know, and just said, I got your letter blown away. You know, can you meet tomorrow for lunch? And we're like, no. <laughs> so, so, and of course, we, we run back to the airport, fly back out to California meet him for lunch. And it's, we've been really close ever since. Man, that's awesome, man. Just the obedience that it would take. So let me pause on the real estate for a minute. Cause I do want to talk about your funds, man. That's amazing. The, the amount of capital and the amount of assets you've, you've going to create, but you're the director or your title for young life and what you do there. Cause you know, there was some obedience on that side, faith on your side, and it would be remiss if I didn't at least ask you about, you know, what you're doing with Young Life and then maybe how you saw that, you know, over the years play out for your success. Well, you know, I, I mean, the faith component is is important. I mean, I'm a Christ follower and and I'll say you know, there's really not an aspect of my life that that doesn't include or pertain to. So it's easy to say, OK, here's my work side. Here's my ministry side. Here's my personal side, but really, you know, the faith component, you know, that, that covers everything it should anyway, you know, and as it pertains to, you know, the way we go about our work. And I say this with respect to, you know, potential listeners who may have other faith orientations or, you know, uh, they put their faith in other places. But for me, as a Christ follower, the thing that we are to be doing for the rest of our lives is worship and be, you know, stand in awe of excellence. And so, 
you know, how that then kind of feeds into my business and, and kind of how we do things is it's, we should be doing things in a manner that's glorifying to the person who gave, gave us so much, right? And, and we owe so much too for what he's done and for who he is. So to me, you know, it should produce a product of excellence or a service of excellence. And I said, I heard a friend of mine's wife, and so a friend of mine named Tim Keller, who I love, his wife, Kathy, is brilliant. And Kathy said years ago, and I love this, but she said, excellence is the ultimate form of inclusion. And so we hear all about inclusive business and being inclusive. But the interesting thing, think of it this way. If, if everybody in this, you know, listening to this right now, if we were all walking someplace, and we saw a piece of art hanging in the window that was unbelievably excellent. Who would be excluded from marveling? We would all turn and look and say, that is, that's breathtaking. That's amazing. And that's inclusive. Nobody's left out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're all drawn to marvel. So to me, that's our challenge as I think people of faith in the workplace is not to do things as to draw attention to ourselves, but if, to do things with excellence as to cause people to ask why it was done with such regard for, for excellence. And the, and the answer is, you know, <laughs> you want to see excellence, don't look there, you know? So that's all aspects of our life. So, you know, yeah. we, we try, whether it's for-profit or non-for-profit, you know, ministry or business. Go all out. Well, for me, you know, I'm like Colossians 3.23. Every, everything you do, go at it with all your heart. Man, but you're working for God. And I can clearly see like oh, the excellence part of your journey. Man, everything that you did, your personal career, professional athlete, you going to get at those houses, you having success in the tech side of it, then, you know, let's, okay, let's, I got a plan. I know the plan. Let's go create this amazing business and acquire $700 million of uh, commercial real estate. Let's get it on. You know, that's awesome, man. I'm inspired by the run and your obedience to kind of follow that path, man. That's good stuff. It's been fun. And if it wasn't for the cross, none of that matters. <laughs> you know, it could be 10 billion. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know? yeah. Awesome, man. Thank you very much for allowing me to ask and share. And yeah, the Young Life organization is one that, you know, when I was younger, college. My sister served there. She asked me to come to an event. I went to the, their Colorado kind of you know facility or one of the ones that they, they use. And the first time I went snowboarding, first time I saw snow, first time I went down the mountain. And I was a skater when I was younger. So like I loved snowboarding and I you know picked it up immediately and I was going down these you know blues and, and the first time anyways just seeing the views and then getting to talk with some of the leaders everything was was very spiritual for me and just kind of brought me back home. As soon as I read your bio, go, oh, Young Life. That's exactly what I remember. So that's great, man. So thank you for letting me pause a little bit and talk about that. I think it's important, you know, whatever your faith is, whatever your background is, whoever you are, there's that calling for excellence. And I really liked it, man. If you can pursue that and you push it, excellence is the source of all inclusion, right? So we see something, we want to go, you know, marvel at it. And, and that's awesome. So Okay, transition, right? Your commercial success in funds. What is a fund? Start start at the basic level, right? For a passive investor that's listening, there's a difference between investing in just one property at a time and going to do a syndication, which we're pulling our funds as individual investors. We're going to buy something bigger than what we'd have been able to buy on our own. But a fund is a different model and a different structure. So tell us about the fund. If I'm investing in it, what is it? How does it operate? And then let's you kind of work into you're on fund number eight now. So I think you have a good idea of what they are, how they operate and how to have success in them. Hello, hello. This is Abel Pacheco, your host for the Five Talents Podcast. After listening to a few episodes, deep down, do you know that multifamily and commercial real estate investing is one of the best ways to create financial freedom? If you said yes to that question, and you are where I was a few years ago, then I'd absolutely love to connect with you. A few years ago, I started personally consuming a ton of real estate education. I traveled all over the country, as many real estate conferences and seminars that I could go to. I took 200 plus hours of real estate education. I spent thousands of dollars along the way. And I did this because I knew the path to financial freedom 
for me and my family was through commercial real estate and syndication. So if you've made a similar decision, I'd love to connect with you. And potentially in the future, I'd love to partner with you as well. Take a moment, go to 5tcre.com forward slash invest, and I'd love to set up a time to talk. So yeah, it's a good question. And there's a lot of versions of funds, but the way we put together our funds, it's a many to many relationship. So it's many investors pulling their capital into an entity, an LLC, an aggregating vehicle. And then with that, we go out and we acquire multiple properties. Um, you know, so the, the goal is geographic uh, diversification. And then we also buy both mobile home parks and storage. So you diversify across asset classes and also ge- geographies. And so not only do you have that diversification, but because all of the properties are owned by one entity, the fund, you have a better, a better balance sheet than if you were to do, you know, let's say 20 properties separately versus 20 within one fund. The 20 within one fund has one balance sheet mm-hmm, versus mm-hmm. 20 separate balance sheets. It gives you a, a lot of options that you may not otherwise have. So we've done, you know, our first fund was 2010, it was friends and family, it was a $2 million fund, probably the most daunting thing. And I, and I say this with respect, you know, you hear all the big numbers and, you know, big things have small beginnings and the small beginnings is where the value is. Although most people think the out, the, today the big numbers are, you know, to me, I look back and, and the first $2 million fund, that was unbelievable. You know, we're calling friends and family in 2010 saying, hey, yeah, great recession. I'm 29. We're going to go buy mobile home parks. We thought of you. So unbelievably, they invested with us. And I say this also with respect, you know, the numbers, the amount raised is, I understand why that's great. We celebrate when we get it back. You know, it's nothing for it to come to you. That's the, that's the obligation. Now it's, you got to get it back and you got to steward it well and do a good job. So we did our first fund in 2010, our second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. So we're now on fund number eight. Um, there will probably be other funds uh, in the future, but but we're currently raising fund eight. So fund eight will probably be open for about two years um, so that we can have, again, enough capital to buy enough assets to build a good balance sheet, uh, which is sometimes overlooked. The, the importance of that is sometimes overlooked. Yeah. We're not buying assets just to buy an asset to, to spend investor money. Now you've got a bigger number. And you're trying to figure out how to, you know, double it or whatever the investment return is. I'm trying to make 1.5 times my money. I'm trying to make 2x my money or whatever's out there, right? And that's, you know, important. We're trying to make a return. Now, you also have a different, something I heard like the first time that you said this, for those that don't know, Ryan's uh, an advisor for our mastermind that I'm in and Kingdom Capitalists and kind of Christian mastermind organizations. Really awesome. Anyways, the first time I heard you say it, was, hey, you don't put projections in your, or performance in your funds. And I was like, what in the world? How do you not do that? And I think about every offer I've ever had. It's like, well, uh, this is this is what I'm shooting for. So anyways, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, your mindset about return, because, you know, you're obviously you're making some good returns for investors. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had this ongoing continued success. So tell us a little bit about your mindset in this in that way. We understand it. Yeah, I, I think life's ironic. I find irony humorous. You know, like for example, I'll give you an example. You know, I, I I was talking with a friend of mine who had a debate yesterday with a client, he's a litigator, and somebody was they were talking about truth. You know, of course, your your normal Monday conversation. And so his friend goes, you know, there's no one point of truth that's absolute. So I find that humorous because that's a truth claim that's absolute, right? <laughs> Those kind of ironies, you know, make me smile. So as it pertains to raising capital, you know, investors, they generally want their, they want to invest with sound, you know, operators that don't take unnecessary risk, yet actually have a gravity to be attracted to the sponsor, (laughs) unnecessary risks in the way they raise their capital. Yeah, that's funny. Don't lose my money. Yeah. But I'm looking for the highest return possible. (laughs) You know, show me X, Y, Z. You really shouldn't, but show me X, Y, Z. Here's my money. Now don't ever do that again, right? Mm-hmm. It's really funny. So what I mean by that more specifically is a lot of, well, first off, when somebody's investing into a, a fund or a syndication, to me, 
and we may disagree, not you and I, but anybody watching this, that the biggest risk is the people running, you know, making decisions. You know, there's the, are they smart? Are they, you know, educated? Are they moral? Do they have integrity? All of those things. So to me, the greatest risk are the people. What a lot of people will do, what I've seen in the industry is a lot of people who are starting from scratch. You know, they may, in some cases, throw up a podcast or write a book or do something to aggregate an audience. They don't feel comfortable with their experience, so they don't feel like they want the attention on them because mm -hmm. they don't survive the scrutiny. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they create a, a distraction over here. Look at my model. And so they put together a financial model in Performa, which, by the way, we use internally. Yeah. Yeah. But the question is whether or not you're using that to market. And the problem with marketing is what's the bias to show a high number or a low number, a high number. The other, the other problem is, and I, I think any, you know, everybody would agree with this. There's a, almost a 0% probability that that performer will be met. That dollar amount in that time will probably not be met. So I don't think it's a good thing to raise capital where the only decision is how wrong are you? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that's good. And said in a, a more of an, a, an analogous way, you know, an investment in a syndication or a fund is like boarding a ship. Okay. If you were to get on a ship and say, we have a computer running the show, it's a straight line from New York to London, it will not deviate. That's the performa. Mm -hmm. And we'd all be nervous because what if a hurricane came? Well, it's going straight through it because that's what the flight plan says or the, the performa. At the end of the day, what will get the ship to its destination safely is the captain and the crew and the ability to navigate around inclement weather based on their experience and knowledge of the vehicle. The flight plan's out the window, right? Yeah. That's the best outcome for the investors. So to me, yes, have a plan, have a performa internally, but I don't think one, it should be marketed to raise capital. And I also don't think that sets the I don't think that puts the focus of risk for the investor where it ought to be. Um, and lastly, as a sponsor, I have investors like, you know, a year ago is one that comes up and a guy from Tampa called me and he said, um, you know, I'm looking at your fund, I'm looking at investing with you, but I'm also looking at another group. But the thing about them is they have all these models, you know, and my, my reply to him and, you know, I, I'm not trying to be off putting, but it just, to me, I'm like, well, then why are we talking? Right. If they have models, why'd you call me? Because at the end of the day, models aren't everything. I just think you should put the focus um, on the people. And by the way, he ended up investing with us. Not that that was the right decision or the wrong decision, but yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's, it's a funny, good. humorous thing. Yeah, it's good to hear you. You know, talk about it because we're trying to be conservative. We're underwriting it. You're looking at the performance analysis. You're looking at the market, the market comps. You're looking at you know all of the things that we do to even put an offer out on this property to make sure that it's the right deal. You're using your entry cap rate. You're using your reversion cap rate. What am I going to sell it at? The models are there. You have them internally to make sure that it's good. It's just the difference on, Hey, this is the assumption. This is the nice ride or flight or boat cruise or whatever you want from here to there with no issues, no worries, all the unforeseen things. And man, in real estate, we definitely know, the unforeseen things, <laughs> they, they definitely come about. I did this or I wrote my first ebook, right? And it was like how I invested, you know, my first, you know, $93 million and I did this passively, right? You know, I kind of talk about the market, the deal and the team. And that's the job of the passive investor. If you can nail those things down, at least the best of your understanding, that's where you want to spend the time in, you know, to realize, hey, man, the, you know, if we're in a good market and the plan's good, well, good. Th those are simple things. The team is so very crucial to have your to having success. And and you know, forget about what the number says because I could look at another one that says, "Oh, this is going to pay me an eighteen percent," and yours only says sixteen. For me, I still put numbers right. At least you know it's like, hey, man, this is the deal. I mean, I wrote it pretty conservatively, and I don't want to I don't want to overpromise. I want to underpromise over deliver. So anyways, you've taken it to a next level and now you've got an amazing track record behind you. You can show people your track record of performance, which is also really solid, you know, just awesome. Thanks a lot, Ryan, for sharing. So you're buying a ton. You continue to buy a ton. You're out there. Maybe we can spend the last couple of minutes on the show. What are you seeing from the market today? You've got, you've got, you know, I would say a very unique view into you know what's happening today 
the amount of assets that you have under management, you know, what's occurring in di many multiple different markets, asset classes. So I don't want to put a specific question on it, but just give us your take on, you know, the current status of the market and, you know, what we should be thinking about as a passive investor, a general partner, as we're continuing to do our business here. Yeah, I know it's a good question. I can maybe tell you what I'm curious about, you know, what I'm interested, you know, and this is not prescriptive, like I have an idea. It's just I'm watching it and I'm curious. So, you know, first, I, I would say just for foundation, what we're trying to do, and, and I think everybody on this that's watching this is trying to do is their NOI, net operating income is, is really important because that's number one, that feeds into what you're getting in terms of a distribution of, of income. It also has something to do with the value of the asset you're investing in. So net operating income growth in the long run is, is very important. So for us specifically, we focus on mobile home parks and self-storage, which historically over the last 20 years, basically the best run of NOI growth for 20 years. And it I, we think it'll continue. So we, we like our space. We like our asset class. With regard to the broader market, I think the next 10 years is going to be a slog. I had somebody to, I talked to her yesterday, she and her husband, and she just said, well, what if the economy goes bad? You know, to me, I'm like, we think that's going to happen. So that's actually part of, you know, why we do what we do. But we think the next decade is going to be a, a pretty challenging decade for a lot of people. But the part, of, the part of all of this that has me intrigued in the short run is, you know, obviously interest rates are low and cap rates are low. We think it'll stay that way for the foreseeable future. You know, for the last one little piece here, for the last couple of years, there's been this presumption that, you know, a cap rate, depending on the asset class, cap rates are low. I'll just say it this way in general terms, that cap rates are low. And so they're going to spring back. <laughs> you know, there's been this kind of assumption since really 2017 is when I started seeing that. And those people have been wrong now for three years straight. And I think they'll continue to be wrong. So what we're seeing in the short run, and one other piece before I tell you what I'm curious about, not as a, a you know, this is a, a terrible tease, but something that I think is also important for maybe your listeners to consider is, you know, the days of high yield are really, in my opinion, gone. I think we're going to be in a very low growth, low yielding environment for a very long time. So you have a lot of people who are now earning a lot less through their job or their investments than they were maybe two, three years ago. And so there's a propensity for them to say, okay, I'm going to replace it. So what I'm seeing a lot of in the real estate space is there's this gravity towards higher cap rate assets for the cash flow that they provide. Many of the higher cap rate assets also come with a lot more risk. So what I'm seeing a lot of people do today is they're taking a lot more risk to produce a hopefully similar return which on a risk adjusted basis is not the same. So for us, you know, we focus on quality and we're not um, trying to take unnecessary risks. And so anyway, you know, the part that I'm, I'm interested in, and I'll try to be succinct, historically, you know, and this may be overly broad, but historically, you know, you look at, let's say you buy a property today at a five cap, okay? And, you know, and then people will say, okay, maybe you borrow at three, you know, we just closed a loan last week at 2.57% on a mobile home park. So, but let's just say it's three. So you buy a five cap asset and you, you pay 3% interest. You know, one question people will say is, you know, what happens if interest rates go up to 7%, you know, and you're at a five cap? You know, you got to think of it somewhat dynamically in that historically, in many cases, when inflation starts showing itself, interest rates rise. And if interest rates rise, cap rates rise. So, the short story is that rising cap rates is inflationary. So if I can pass inflation on to my end customer, which real estate has been a good vehicle for that historically, then I should be growing my NOI significantly more. So in short, my cap rate may be higher, which means my value lower, but my NOI should be higher as a result of that inflation. So the point is I have more of something worth less. So the value should be moderately the same or within within reason. Now, historically, a lot of value has been created on the backside of this inflationary move. Uh, my partner, Brian, who I described earlier, he's been a partner of ours for many years now. We love working together and I have a lot of respect for him. But he made a, a significant amount of money in the late 70s. You know, he's been investing since the early 70s and the interest rates were 18%. And the reason he made a lot of money is inflation. So the point, point in all of it is, 
on the backside of an inflationary cycle, I say deflation in the sense of inflation moderating. So as inflation comes down, interest rates come down, cap rates come down, but the NOI doesn't come down because it's a Pavlovian response. People get used to paying a higher rate. So now you have a higher NOI with a higher multiple. So it's two times two is four. It's a really big deal. So the part that has, I guess, today that makes me curious and interested, the Fed recently, you know, this is no secret, they've said widely that they're going to be accommodative to low rates for the force for the next several years, but they're also going to let inflation run and they're going to consider it in the aggregate. So I, I think this creates a possibility for the potential of inflation tick up and to run, which gives us the ability to pass that on to our customer as long as your business allows that. So we should see, if that happens, some decent growth in rental rates. But because they're also holding rates down, we then get to capitalize on that in historically low cap rates rather than higher cap rates, which has been the historical outcome. So to me, it's it's a potential setup for the ability to, number one, create wealth and also return wealth to investors potentially sooner than expected. Now, obviously not guaranteed, but I'm curious on how that will all go. That's awesome. I think the explanation of it makes a lot of sense where people are thinking about a bounce of cap rate. And for those passive investors that are you know, kind of following some of it, it's like, as a buyer, I want a highest possible cap rate as possible with as little risk as possible. But a lot of times the higher cap means higher risk. Lower cap rate is higher price and less risk because we're buying income streams. There's property behind it, but we're buying an income stream. So with my $10 million, whatever cap rate is saying, if I had $10 million cash, I'm going to get 5% cash in return, cash on cash return of that 10 million bucks. If I buy lower at a lower cap rate, it's less return, but there's less perceived risk. And that's why they pay a little bit less. And so in, the, in this you know, paradigm that Ryan's mentioning, it's like, man, what an amazing time right now where you have to borrow at just 2.57 or below three interest rates. And a little bit of my you know, closer friends or family are like asking me and my wife, hey, um, I know you guys are going full-time real estate and really heavily you know, hitting it. I see all your social. Aren't you guys a bit worried that almost everything you have invested is like in real estate, you know, one fashion or another? And, and I guess it's, it's just a different, there's a contrarian point of, point of view where, no, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to borrow at the lowest possible rate, probably historical lows, get the spread from that and the, you know, the 10-year treasury and cap rates and, you know, capitalize right now and make the most money as possible. And then, you know, it's just hard for some people to really see from those eyes if you're not in it every single day, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, there's the short-term understanding of what it is you're doing. And then there's the, the critical point, which is far more rare which is the persistence to do it for the long term and not deviate from the path. And that's where most people uh, don't have it. They can't stick it out. You know, we're, we're geared to want short-term returns, you know, short-term outcomes. And so it's, it's ironic in the real estate world, just as the plane is lifting off, you know, and the asset is really taking off, that's when most people hit the abort button and they, they sell. Five-year projection, and sometimes we sell in three, and then we wonder why the deal traded again in two years and again in two years. And they're like, wow, if we would have just held it, we wouldn't have had to do the work again. You did the value add the first time. And anyways, yes. Yeah. Yep. And you pay tax on it. You know, you pay unless you do a 1031, which who knows may not be available next year. We'll say the next couple of years, yeah. uh, you know, but, but the point is you pay tax, you know, for us, we want to buy quality assets, quality markets, run them like a son of a gun, hold them long-term you know, return capital to investors from refi proceeds and then just continue to own them, get investors yeah. their capital and keep the assets long run. So yeah, what a great conversation, Ryan. I really appreciate it. I could keep you here for two hours, but I, I've probably got over my time already, man. Let me cut it. If our investors, our listeners, our network, they want to reach out to you, they want to get into your world, they want to invest with you, learn more, whatever, where should they reach out to you? What's the best place for somebody interested to, to do so? Yeah, sure. And if I can be helpful, you know, if you have questions or if I can clarify anything on this podcast, let me know. But my information can be found at elevationfund.com. 
And then my email is ryan at elevationcg.com. Got it. Thank you so much. Is there anything we didn't talk about today that you wanted to, you know, highlight, bring some exposure to anything in general that you're like, man, you know, Abel didn't ask me about this. I want to share anything in general. Have take as much time. No, you did. I thought you did a great job. I love what you do with this podcast. I think you do a, a great job and your listeners are fortunate. So there's a lot more we can talk about, you know, so if you ever want me back, be happy to do it. But no, I thought you did a great job. All right. Good deal. Thank you so much, Ryan. I really appreciate it, man. Your brother to me in a lot of fashions and a true advisor to me and one side. And I'm just, I'm lucky to have you in my network and I really appreciate it. And God bless you and everything that you do, brother. Appreciate you, bro. Yeah. That goes both ways. Thank you. Well, I'm again, your host, Abel Pacheco for the five talents podcast. If you've heard something that provided you some value today, which I believe you did, I encourage you go to our podcast, Apple podcast and leave a review, leave a five-star rating. That would be amazing. If you heard something from Ryan that you really resonated with, reach out to him, leave us a note in the feedback. Written reviews are amazing. And uh, if you have any questions about the passive, passive investing, getting into our world as well, our website is 5tcre.com. That's 5 Talents Commercial Real Estate, 5tcre.com. And look forward to uh, talking to you. Thanks again, Ryan. Appreciate it, brother. You bet. Likewise. Thank you, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. Each week, we're going to bring you interviews from other industry experts and commercial real estate investors who followed their dreams and achieved massive success. If you enjoyed this episode, then you're going to want a copy of our Passive Investor's Guide, Tackling Commercial Real Estate the Easy Way. It's the guide we use to invest in $93 million of commercial real estate. It's a 65-page ebook. It's a great resource to learn the basic mechanics of multifamily syndications. And we're going to show you how to evaluate your next passive investment opportunity. So if you subscribe to our podcast now, leave us a review and a rating, I'm going to give you a free copy. So take a moment to do that now. We'd appreciate it. And then you can register for the book at 5tcre.com forward slash ebook, 5tcre.com forward slash ebook. Let us know and we're going to send you a copy. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Five Talents Podcast.